I need new batteries. We put in brand new ones. They're dead. The green light, that's the one I'm looking for. This is what they tell you to do in preaching class, by the way, in seminary. They say, do little stunts here and there. No, they do not tell you to do that. We are in Exodus chapter 13 and 14. We were in these same chapters last week, and we looked at the presence of God with his people, how the presence of God made the difference. The people ignored it, but it made all the difference in the world. I want to come at this uh, from a, a little bit of a different approach today as I think about how the people of Israel were feeling in this time. Do you ever feel hopeless? Hopelessness is one of the worst feelings you can possibly have. Hopelessness comes upon us when we feel like our circumstances, our situations have gotten so bad that there's no way things could possibly work out. That things could never get better, that there is absolutely zero light at the end of the tunnel. That's when we fall into hopelessness. That is when we fall into despair. And, and, and I'll just tell you guys... Um, I, I even recently have had, had a season of hopelessness in my life. Uh, just a sort of a, a set of circumstances have kind of hit me head on. And um, there's just this, th there was this hopeless feeling, this idea of no matter how hard I try, no matter how much effort I put in, it won't matter. It will be pointless, purposeless. It was hopeless. It was funny, uh, I, I often share what, what I'm going through with Pastor Dave, that's just, you know, the kind of relationship we have. And so I'd been sharing with him, you know, where I was at emotionally, and he was, you know, talking with me, and we were praying through it and stuff. And then uh, a couple days later, I tell him this, my sermon direction for this Sunday, and here's what he said. Jeff, do you think it's possible God has you in this scripture because this is exactly what you're going through? I said, I know. <laughs> I said, that's exactly what God's doing. It's God, this is kind of what Dave was saying too, is God allowed me to be feeling these things, to be in this situation so that he could teach me these truths, so that he could apply these truths to my life, then I could come in here and share them with you. Not as concepts, not as philosophy, but as reality and what we really need for our lives because it is not okay to live in hopelessness because we have a God who is full of hope. We have a living hope in Christ Jesus. This morning, we're going to see Israel come upon a set of circumstances, a set of terrible situations, troubles and trials, whatever you want to call them, that are going to push them into hopelessness. They will see no way out. They will see no rhyme or reason. They will see only doom, gloom, and death. 
But what they don't see is that God was actually working through those troubles, through those trials. And, and I don't mean God is working around those troubles and trials as though, yeah, there's an obstacle, but God can get around it. No, no. What I mean is God is using those circumstances, those troubles, those trials in order to bring about something greater in the lives of the people of Israel than they would have ever imagined. That's what God was doing. They were unaware. And so I, I tell you, I, I just want to be as straightforward on this. I don't know, even in my, my current set of circumstances that were ca causing me to feel hopeless, I don't know where things are headed. I don't. But all I know is I only see things from my perspective, my point of view. But God has an entirely different, entirely transcendent, entirely perfect point of view. And he knows what's going on. He knows what he's doing through those circumstances. So this is what God is going to do in the lives of Israel. And I, I, I say all these things, by the way, because... Uh, the longer I've lived, the more people I've gotten to know, the more conversations I've come to have, I realize this is a very common thing for us to fall into hopelessness. My family situation will never get better. My financial situation will never get better. My relationships, my, my sin, my just wh whatever it is, I, I've come to realize more and more and more that people feel hopeless. And so I want you to see the God of all hope, that he is in control of your trials and he is using them for your good and his glory. So let's look at the first thing God did with Israel. Uh, they, they have, by the way, just come out of Egypt. You know, the Passover happened. Pharaoh says, get out. And so they are pushed out of Egypt. But here is the first thing God allows to happen into their, in their lives. Number one, God allows confusion. God allows confusion. And I use that word allows, and I, I didn't really like it because God kind of causes confusion, but I don't know, this is just a safer word. God allows confusion. As humans, we don't like to be confused. I, I personally am a very logical being. Like, I really like to have understand things beginning to end. I like to have my steps planned. I like to set a goal and get there. And I assume you are the same way because that's, that's how God has wired humans. We don't like to be confused. We don't like to be disoriented. But that's exactly what God causes to happen uh, in the hearts of the uh, people of Israel at the beginning of their journey. You can look in your Bibles or up on the screen uh, Exodus chapter 13, beginning in verse 17, it says, When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. You can jump down to verse 20. And they moved on from Sukkoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. So I'll, I'll kind of just tell you what's going on here. There is a very direct route back to uh, the promised land. That's, that's where the people of Israel are headed, back to the promised land, the land of Canaan uh, that, that God had promised to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And that's where they're headed. But that's not the way God takes them. They, they really need to be headed kind of like... I guess from your perspective, northeast 
But God has them going kind of like southeast. Like they're, they're just headed the wrong direction. And so, you know, that, that's kind of just their starting point. Okay, there's this, this straight shot to the promised land and we're not taking it. But then look what happens in chapter 14, just in the following verses, chapter 14, verses 1 and 2. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of, in front of Pihahiroth between Migdal and the sea, in front of Baal Zephon. You shall encamp in facing it, or sorry, encamp facing it by the sea. Okay, there, there's a couple things that, I mean, it's just kind of weird. God has them going the wrong direction for a while, you know, uh, not, not the straight route. And then God has them turn back to, to retrace their steps. I, uh, the other day, um, I was out working in my yard and I, I heard my neighbor talking to a plumber. I wasn't listening. I wouldn't do that. But anyways, I saw the plumber leave. He, so he goes down the road this way. I'm like, okay, so he's leaving. Uh, about 30 seconds later, I see that same plumber come back up the road. I'm like, okay, he must have, you know, gone down there and turned around. About uh, maybe a minute later, I see that same <laughs> uh, guy come by again, like in the same direction. And so part of me thought it was funny. I have to keep that part of me quiet. The other part of me felt bad for him, you know, as you should, because he was lost. He was confused. It's a confusing neighborhood, truly. Um, I still don't know my way around our, our entire neighborhood. Uh, but this, this plumber was confused. He was lost in my neighborhood. And, and that's kind of what's going on with Israel. They're, they're going kind of the wrong direction. Then they're, going, they're, they're backing up. Okay, we've got to retrace our steps. And I just think about this from the, the perspective of the, the average person of Israel. They're not talking to God. They don't hear God telling them what to do and stuff. And they're thinking, I, I thought we just came down this path and now we're going back up it. No, I know we just passed that tree. You know, I mean, we've probably all been there. Like, I know I've seen that house and we passed it already. Like, we are going the wrong way. Jeff, will you just ask for directions already? We never had that conversation. Um, that's kind of what's going on for them. And then he says this the, there uh, in verse 2. He says, <clears throat> you shall, sorry, you go, go to the sea in front of Bel Zephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. So they come up to the, this huge body of water, most likely the Red Sea. It's debated, but uh, most likely the Red Sea. They come up to this huge body of water. They're, they're supposed to be headed to the promised land, and they make camp there. They just stop in front of this body of water facing the, the body of water. They have come to a dead end. I don't know about you, but if I'm driving around and, and, and I come to a dead end and there's just a big body of water in front of me, I know something's off probably. I, I know I've gotten, you know, turned around somewhere. And, and we see that God has them in camp there facing the sea. I mean, it looks like they've given up. I would imagine that's what, I, I don't know for sure, but I imagine that's what most of Israel thinks is like, okay, we're just wandering around. We're going the wrong direction. We're retracing our steps. Now we've hit this uh, roadblock of the Red Sea and now we're just, we're just, we're just going to camp here. Whatever. <laughs> we just can't figure it out. These guys are most likely confused. Now, this, this might, might seem comical, but this is their lives. They, they have left Egypt with, with just what they could carry out of there. You know, they, they didn't have time to break bread. That's why they, we had like the unleavened bread and all that. They, they need to get somewhere. 
from their perspective. And so to be confused when you need to get somewhere, when your life depends on it, your children, your family depends on it, this probably was not a comforting feeling. But here's what we need to understand. God was fully in control of the situation. Again, from our perspective, we know that in the pillar of cloud, in the pillar of fire, God was the one leading them around. God was the one telling Israel or telling Moses rather what to do and, and when to encamp there. They are confused, but God is not. I, w- I want us to see what God is up to in verses three and four, because this is this is why it's so great. No, there we go. I wonder if I was right. Anyway, it doesn't matter. So, verses three and four, this this is uh, what God is up to. So he just told them, encamp by the sea facing it. For, this is why I want you to do that. For, Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. Israel did so. So they did. They encamp. They, they go back. Then they encamp by the sea facing it. But God has a reason for this apparent confusion. God, God has a reason for them doubling back. God has a reason for them coming to this dead end and camping there. And the reason was God wanted Pharaoh to see their apparent confusion. Do you see that? Pharaoh will save the people of Israel. They are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. They're, they're, they don't know where they're going. They're going this way and they're, they're doubling back. Then now they're just at a, sitting in front of the sea like they don't have a boat. God is quite honestly setting a trap for Pharaoh. Pharaoh has been a wicked man. He would not let God's people go. And it's kind of one of those things that if if Pharaoh is still out there, it will always be in the back of the minds of the people of Israel that he he may come back for us. He, He may regret sending us out. And so God is setting a trap and he is using the confusion of Israel to do it. They needed to appear confused in order for God's plan to work. And we see how God, or sorry, how Pharaoh responds in verses five through eight. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people. And they said, what is this that we have done that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. This is the whole army of Egypt. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. God made this apparent confusion of Israel just too too much for Pharaoh to pass up. He says, what is, what is this that we've done? They can't even help themselves. They're just wandering around. Now they're stuck. They don't even know where they're going. And so he makes ready his entire army, is, is the idea we get there from that description, and goes out and pursues them. And so 
God allows the people of Israel to be confused during this, this season because they needed to appear confused. And God being the sovereign God of the universe is sovereign over even Pharaoh. He knows exactly how Pharaoh is going to respond to this situation. And that is exactly what happens I think that's good news, honestly, because while I, I like to be a, an, an organized person, I don't like uh, confusion, it, it often happens in my life. I have, you know, big decisions, and maybe you have too, big decisions in your life. Should, should I marry this person? Should I not? Should I go to this job? Should I not? What, what major should I choose? You know, just what, whatever thing it is, or maybe you're just, you know, in the middle of something and you just don't know what the next step should be. In those times, we absolutely should seek wisdom from God. So I'm, I'm not telling you to take zero responsibility and say, well, God loves confusion. No, that, that's not the way it is. But what I'm saying is you're, you're praying for wisdom from God. You're seeking his guidance. You can have peace even when the answer doesn't come as soon as you'd like. Maybe God has you confused for a reason. Maybe it is actually through your confusion that he's leading you and your life circumstances the way they need to go. Again, we're seeking, we're seeking, we want to know what he wants us to do. But when God allows us to remain in that confusion, we can trust that he is not confused in the least and he has a good plan. Oddly enough, by the way, if Israel had known God's plan, they'd have said, nope, we ain't going to look confused. If, that, if this is going to draw Pharaoh out, we don't want to do this, you know. Like, God couldn't even let them in on the plan. God couldn't let them know why they needed to look confused or feel confused or anything like that. All right. So this, that is the first thing. And I would say that's kind of, you know, we, we feel that. Okay, confusion, we don't like that. But God is going to allow a whole lot more in their lives. Number two, God allows crisis and chaos. They have the confusion from wandering around, but then they have crisis and at least seeming chaos. Let's look at crisis first. Exodus 14 verses 9 and 10. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them and camped at the sea by Pihahiroth in front of Baal-Zephon. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. If there ever was a crisis, this was it. You know, we talk about being between a, a rock and a hard place. They are between the Red Sea and a huge army. I mean, this is the Egyptian army. This is the Egyptian empire army, strongest army in the world at this time. And they see from the distance this army coming at them. And they say, where are we to go? The Red Sea is in front of us. They have these chariots, these fast chariots. They have all this strength. They have... What do we have? This is a crisis. Hopelessness comes in at this point in our lives as well as in theirs. 
And by the way, I love how extreme the example of Israel is because it makes any of my crises seem very, very small. I've never had a, a sea in front of me and in a pursuing army behind me. It's just not been part of my life experience, but I've had crises. I've had times where I could not see a way out. I mean, think about it. If Israel goes forward, they drown, right? If they go backward or just stay there, they, they die by the sword. They have no good options. In fact, in verse 12, I'm not going to read it at the moment. They make it plain. We expect to die out here in the wilderness. Thanks a lot, Moses. You've gotten us killed. They are in the middle of this crazy crisis. And again, when we get to this point where we, we see no good option, we, we lose hope. We lose hope for our marriage. We lose hope for our, our productivity, our, our ability, for our, our health, our joy, our happiness. You know, we lose hope. We say, there is no good option. There is no way this could turn out well. And we lose hope and we, we, we fall into despair. And I, I say it's funny, but it's not. You know, there's the saying, when it rains, it pours. But this is often what happens to us too. We're in this hopeless crisis, things we feel like couldn't get any worse. And, you know, we're, we're trying to fix the situation. Then you go out and the car doesn't start. <laughs> like, what? I'm already going through so much. You're like, okay, I need as much sleep as I can possibly get so that I can wake up in the morning and think and deal with this crisis that I'm in. And then the kids keep you up all night. What, whatever it is. Crisis upon crisis. And that's kind of what happens with um, Israel here. They have what seems like chaos to them. What I, what I believe seemed like chaos to them. Uh, verse 14, 21. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. Now, God had told him to do this. I, I didn't read We looked at those verses last week. Uh, but God had told him this, this is what you're going to do. You're going to hold out your staff, hold out your hand over the waters and, and I will part the waters and you will walk through them. And so this is Moses doing it. But again, only Moses knows this plan. <laughs> only Moses knows what's going on. I mean, he may have told a few people, but we're talking millions of Israelites. They, they don't know what's going on. And, you know, you think about the movies, they, they do such a bad job sometimes. Um, you know, they show... Moses valiantly put his, you know, staff out and the waters part and then they, they walk through happily. That's not what happened. Moses puts out his staff. It's, it's not this great scene. And then a strong east wind comes and that wind blows all night long. And I don't think we're to think about a gentle, refreshing breeze here. This is a breeze that God is supernaturally using to part the waters of the Red Sea, to dry out the ground below. I imagine this to be a raging, violent wind. Again, I'm, I'm making some assumptions here, but I say it parts the sea. I know it's supernatural, but it says he used the sea to do that. He drove, it says there, the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night. 
And so think about it. You're already in, 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 you're already confused. You're already in this crisis. And then the sky turns black. Around these parts, you kind of get that eerie green tint. And there's that kind of calm before the storm. And you start to think, okay, where do we go if things get intense? At my house uh, right now, we have a tree that I, I legit, I know to go and look at that tree to know how strong the wind is. If it gets to about 45 degrees, it's time to get the kids downstairs. And I mean, those are scary moments for me, um, honestly. And, you know, a couple years ago, we lost uh, one of our, our rental houses. Winds are scary. And so that's what Israel is going through all night long. They don't know what's going on. They don't know why the winds are blasting around them. But you know what? God did. And and that's what I'm trying to impress upon you. This crisis has come upon them. They see no way out. They see this as the end. God sees it as an opportunity. They see this wind as chaos, but really God is creating a path for them to pass through. No one in Israel would have guessed this. I I think even Moses is probably trying to put the pieces together and he's talking to God about it. They are experiencing confusion, crisis, and chaos, but God has it under complete control. This this is amazing. I, I cannot tell you what a comfort all this is to me. Because there are those times that I'm just confused. I don't know what to do. I want to do the right thing. I'm seeking God's will, but I just don't know. There are those times crises come and I say, I don't see a way out. And then on top of that comes the confusion of family life generally. This is such a comfort to me that God is standing back and saying, it's going all perfectly according to my plan. And again, I tell you, God God has, I'm still working through it, but in, in large part, God has given me that comfort. He has restored my hope because whatever crises come into my life, I can know God is in control. And you say, well, great, now everything's going to be hunky-dory, floating on clouds, you know. No, there, there, there's one more step that Israel is going to have to do and that we often have to do. This is number three. God allows us to cross through peril. Now, there are times God will pull you out of peril. There are times that God will fix the situation. There are times that God will heal you, that God will fix your finances, that God will mend that broken relationship. There are absolutely times that that will happen. But very often, he won't pull you out. He'll say, come on with me through this peril, and I will pull you through. Have you thought about what's going to happen next? This strong wind has blown. They're already tired. They've already been confused. They've already been in this crisis and the chaos. And now, okay, Moses, we see these walls of water standing up. We've never seen that before. I mean, it talks about that. It stands, um, these walls of water. And now we're supposed to walk between those two walls of water? We see them standing now, but how long are they going to stand, right? And yet, they have to cross through. 
God, God, God has them cross through, trusting only in the one who is holding back the waters. That's what they have to do. They have to say, God, I'm going to trust you to hold these waters up, that you'll carry me through whatever that means, God. I trust you. I mean, I just want to show you that. Verse 14, 22. This is just crazy to me. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right and on their left. These huge walls of water. And they're supposed to just walk between them. This, again, it, is what God does with us. He most often does not just pull us out. He most often doesn't just make things comfortable and easy. He says, no, come with me. We're going to go through this together. We have to walk through peril. We don't give up. We don't roll over. We, we cross through peril with God. And, and by the way, matters only get worse. Verse 23 the Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. So not only are they now passing between these very scary walls of water, now Egypt is pursuing them. So even if they do make it to the other side, even if they're not crushed by the waters, the Egyptian army is going to crush them when they get across. This is the peril God is having them cross through. This confusion, crisis, and chaos has come to a fever pitch. But look at what happens, verse uh, 24, 25. And in the morning watch, that's early in the morning, in the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Okay, so get this. Israel did not see, see this coming. This was not one of the options that they saw. All of Egypt's strength is useless right now because they are not even able to cross through this dry ground that Israel crossed over just moments before. Their chariots are unable to overtake Israel and Egypt is now, the, the, the Egyptian army is now thrown into chaos, confusion, and crisis. They say, oh no, we, we can't get across. Like something is wrong. And this, they even know that it's not natural causes. They just walked across. Egypt just, or sorry, Israel just walked across and now we can't make it. The Lord is fighting for them. Now, again, we, we got to think about this. And I, I just want to say this to all of you. When I talk about God's providence, his providing for his people, I'm talking about his people. God provides the way for Israel across. Yes, they face confusion, crisis, chaos, and yes, they have to go through peril, but God takes care of them. God brings their ultimate good. But that is not so for, for those who are not his people. Egypt did not trust in God. Egypt 
did not love God. Egypt did not want to worship and enjoy God. And so how do things work out for them? Verses 26 to uh, 29. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the hosts of Pharaoh that had followed them into the, the sea. Not one of them remained, but the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The path that was deliverance for the people of Israel was destruction for the people of Egypt. What served as protection for the people of Israel under God's providential hand was the divine punishment of God for the Egyptians. God took care of his people no matter how bad things seemed. And it's crazy because things looked really good for Egypt. Things were going good for Egypt. But God turned the tables on them. Their confusion, their chaos has ended. Their crisis is over. And all of a sudden, Israel sees what God was up to. Look at verse 30 and 31. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against, against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Now, remember, fear, fear, biblical fear. This is talking about reverential awe of God. While before they feared uh, the, the, the army of, of, of Egypt, now they see the power of God. This is what God has done. He brought confusion, crisis, and chaos. He has them cross through peril, but now... They see the glory of God. They saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. That's their enemies. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. They feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. We, I say we, me, I am far too concerned with comfort and ease and pleasure when God has something so much greater that's going to come on the other side of, of confusion and crisis and chaos. Again, I, I'm not here promising that God will pull you out of your hard situations, but I am promising he will pull you through one way or another. You've got a physical problem, God will pull you through. It may be that that healing happens in heaven, but he will pull you through. Whatever it is, our God is working not around your circumstances, but through them and through mine. I want to I point out too, like Israel got to worship God. They got to enjoy God. Exodus 15 is, is the song of Moses. Um, and, and, and that's just going to be 
where they worship God in song. <laughs> they worship and enjoy God in song. That's what Exodus 15, chapter 15 is about, that they worship God and enjoy him. So Israel has gotten this great gift of knowing and seeing the glory of God. But we, we see here from um, earlier in the chapter that even Egypt will get to see these things. Uh, that the, not the army, they're dead, but the, the Egyptians. Uh, God had said earlier, I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. They've been denying that God is the Lord this whole time. Uh, then chapter 14, uh, verse 17 and 18 God says, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. God would not have been glorified in the hearts of the Egyptians had, had he just let Israel go and have an easy trip back to the promised land. God let confusion come in that drew Pharaoh out that brought the crisis then the wind blew the chaos then God has them pass through peril and God crushes the Egyptian army and therefore the Egyptians know that he is the Lord God worked through these terrible circumstances to bring about his good plan and it wasn't just Israel and Egypt by the way we'll see this a few times in the Bible uh, in the future um, in the Old Testament uh, Joshua 2 is, is when they do come to the promised land and they, they send in spies to investigate uh, the promised land. And the king there, uh, you know, in Canaan hears that there are spies there, so he pursues the spies. But a woman named Rahab, Rahab the harlot, she's known as, she hides the spies and she, she tells the, the guards that are looking for them, uh, no, they, they've gone another way. Here's the reason she gives for protecting these invaders. I mean, these are people who want to take over their land, she, but she protected them. Here's the reason she gives for doing it. Joshua 2.10 uh, through 12. Joshua 2.10 through 12, it says, Rahab says, For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. For the Lord your God, he is the God in the heavens above and in, on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house. Rahab, the harlot, feared the Lord. She had reverential awe for Yahweh God. She wanted to be on God's side. She wanted to align herself with Israel rather than her own people. Why? Because we saw how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. God had an amazing plan, one that Israel couldn't have even conceived of. Through their confusion, through their crisis, through their chaos, and through crossing the peril this is God's pattern, and this pattern has not stopped. Please understand that. This is not a one-time deal that God did. Oh, that was neat that one time God worked through their bad circumstances. No, this is what God does for all those who are his. If you are a child of God, this is what you can expect and know is happening in your life. I've got two reasons 
that you can know that this is what's happening in your life. First, we have God's promise. Now, there are many other promises, but the one we all know is Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, so hear me, for those who love God, who you've trusted in Christ Jesus, he is your savior, he is your Lord. For those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And notice, things, they work together. It's not that all things work out. It's that God works all things together. He uses your crisis. He uses your pain. He uses your trouble. He uses your trial for good. Your ultimate good and God's ultimate glory are being worked out in your life through the good times and through the bad times. We have God's promise. Well, promise is only as good as the person who made it, right? My child makes a promise to me. I don't, I don't bank my life on it. Dad, I'll help you. Yeah, we'll see. But we have something else. We have God's proof. If ever you wonder if God is really there in the crisis, chaos, confusion, if you ever wonder if he's really working for your good and for his glory, look at the proof. Romans 8.32, just a few verses after Romans 8.28, the promise he who did not spare his own son, Jesus, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Friends, the proof is, is in this principle from the greater to the lesser. If God was willing to send his son to die on the cross for your sins, bear your shame, bear your punishment, bear the guilt that you deserve, the punishment you deserve, bear hell for you, if he was willing to do that, don't you think he can work good in your life? Don't you think he has your best interests in mind? Don't you think he's going to give, him, give you the greatest thing, namely himself? And by the way, Jesus, man, isn't that a, a set of confusing circumstances? Isn't that a crisis? This is, he's betrayed by his, one of his 12 best friends, you know, Judas. Then, then he's nailed to a cross. The, these evil, wicked men are doing evil, wicked things to Jesus. This is crisis. This is chaos. This is confusion. You can see the disciples, by the way, after this. They're all mourning. They're all sad. But we know how that story went. We know that God had a greater plan. We know that though Satan was bruising the heel of Jesus, Jesus was crushing his head in the very same crisis, confusion, chaos. Jesus crossed through peril for us and he purchased salvation for us on the third day he rose from the grave and now we all have access to God through Jesus we are made his children through the crisis through the chaos and and God's God's working in your life I, I can tell you I don't know what your circumstances are I don't know what you're confused about what the crisis is but God is working and what we got to do is commit to cling to him and then cross through that peril with him. Don't give up yet. God is with you. God cares for you. He gave his son for you. He can carry you through this. So let's, let's commit to that now in prayer, that, that, that this would become real in our lives. Let's, let's talk to him now. Father God, we need you. 
God, we often become hopeless because we see no way out. We can't imagine how things could get better. We can't imagine how things could possibly be okay. But God, help us right now to to look to you, to recognize that we may not know what's going on. We may be confused and you may very well be allowing that. And we have crises come in our lives, no way forward, no way backward. But Lord, you're allowing that. And there's chaos, the winds blow, the winds howl around us and we're scared, we don't know what to do. But you're working through that. And God, you bid us only to cling to you and cross through peril. Israel didn't even have to lift a finger fighting Egypt. You crushed them. All they had to do was cling to you. And God, we want to do the same. We want to find our hope in you. We don't want to base our hope in our circumstances. We don't want our, our, our joy in you to fluctuate with our circumstances. And so, Lord, we cling to this truth. We cling to your promise. And we cling to the proof that you've given your son so you will give us everything we need. God, help us to trust you through the pain, through the trial, knowing you are in control. God, we give ourselves to you in the name of Jesus, our Savior, the one who purchased this this sonship, purchased being a part of your family. In his name, amen. Let's stand together.